this episode, I'll be speaking with Elise Shunkowitz, a good friend of mine, about an array of topics, including the mind and body. Just so you know about her background, Elise is a New York City-based psychotherapist and brain-based personal trainer. Through a holistic approach integrating conventional psychotherapy and coaching with movement and applied neuroscience, Elise teaches people how to heal their nervous system, alleviate emotional and physical pain, eliminate distressing behaviors, and optimize performance. Outside of her practice, Elise serves as a primary physician in the Bellevue Hospital Psychiatric Emergency Room. I've included her website and social media in the description of this episode, so please check her out and contact for more info if you like. Now let's get into it. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm super excited to be here, Robinson. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's get into it. So let's start off uh, with you just... Uh, introducing yourself to the audience, uh, telling them a little bit about yourself, what you do, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I am a LCSW, licensed clinical social worker. I actually do I do a bunch of different things in terms of my uh, professional career. So full-time, I am a social worker in the psychiatric emergency room and mobile crisis team of Bellevue Hospital Center, which is the flagship for the New York City public hospital uh, system. So it's, uh, it's also the oldest... Uh, public hospital in the country, and it's a training program for NYU. So you have NYU med- medical students, residents, faculty there. So it's a pretty cool and exciting place to be. And I'm also a brain-based movement coach slash personal trainer. And I have my own private practice on the side where I integrate mind, brain, and body. So really thinking about the holistic person standing in front of me and what do they need, you know, in all parts of their life to improve their their health? Specifically, I focus on mental health, but I also work on pain, uh, all different types of pain, you know, joint pain, headaches, things like that, but primarily focus on, on mental health. And what, what sparked this interest for you to pursue that, that portion? So, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey. So a lot of it starts with my own my own, right. My own stuff. And I think a lot of people in the mental health field and especially the holistic, uh, health world have their own history of being in that kind of in this health journey for themselves and figuring things out. So growing up, I, I had a lot of mental health issues, a lot of anxiety, depression, some eating disorder stuff. And really I, you know, the, the Western medical system, it, it did a lot for me and it, it, it helped me survive, but it didn't help me thrive. And I was really struggling, um, up until my, my mid to, to late twenties, really. I, you know, I, I'd been on a lot of medication. Um, I'd been in a lot of therapy and it, it was fine. It was good. Some was good. Some was not good, but I, I was never really happy. And I was always, I was always searching for what is going to help me get better. Like I had never really given up hope, but it was, it was hard. Day to day was really hard. Uh, even, you know, as, as a social worker in the profession. And ultimately I kind of had this thing where I, I realized I was in so much therapy talking about things like, you know, poor self-esteem and, and my anxiety and my depression and nothing was really changing. Like things would change and maybe things would get better, but then the same issue would manifest in a different way. So I ended up quitting therapy and I decided to pursue personal training on the side. And my supervisor at the gym that I was working at, I said, I said to him, I was working at the gym at the front desk. I said, I want to go be a personal trainer. He said, go to this class and you can go talk to, uh, you go, to, go talk to this person who studies this functional neurology stuff and you can go take the class. So I ended up meeting up uh, with my friend Rezi who, who studies functional neurology. And she told me a little bit about the class. Um, and she said, you know, I've done a lot of this stuff, this functional neurology stuff on, on clients, personal training clients. And I've noticed that I've gotten them out of pain, but I've also unexpectedly gotten them, gotten them through anxiety and depression. Like they're doing better than they ever were. Would you be my guinea pig? Can we just try some stuff out and see how it goes? I said, yeah, I'll do anything. You know, <laughs> she came to my apartment <laughs> at like 6am once a week before I go to work. 
and we do a lot of functional neurology drills. Uh, and meanwhile, I started, I started studying the curriculum. I took my first class and it's a program called Z health with Dr. Eric Cobb, brilliant guy. He's out on the West coast. And, um, I took the first class and I had a breakdown and I said to myself, this is either the, the biggest, hokiest, pokiest BS that I've ever seen in my life or this yeah. is <laughs> my life. And, and it changed my life. And, and through, through my friend Resi, I ended up being connected to other holistic practitioners who introduced me to a, a wide array of holistic modalities. And I got off almost all my medication. My anxiety and depression drastically decreased. And my life just, you know, I, I did a bunch of other things, pursuing the personal training, kind of getting in this place where I was learning how to fail for the first time. I was always afraid of failing. And my supervisor at the gym, he was the first person ever to provide a, a safe space to fail. I learned how to fail and I slowly started building up my self-esteem. And then I was doing all this other holistic practices and, you know, helping, helping my mental health issues. And I just, I realized one day I wasn't depressed anymore. And wow, and yeah, that That's was pretty amazing. long-winded. Is that okay? No, no. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, one thing that you, you highlighted and I want to touch upon a bit is you said that you felt like you feel like Western medicine essentially helps you to survive and not to thrive. Do you think that that's just a, a functionality within modern uh, Western medicine that's in there in an insidious manner? Or do you think that that's just part of the system? I think, you know, I don't think this was the intention of the system, but I think unfortunately, a lot of our of our medicine that we practice here in the United States is more symptom management, not necessarily getting to the root cause. And and that's not for every profession of medicine, right? Isn't that's for surgery or emergency medicine. Um, and and there are a lot of there are a lot of drugs that help a lot of people, right? Like I was talking to one of my colleagues at Bellevue the other day, and he pointed out that like some of our patients just need to, you know, they go on med because they can't, you know, they're in a place in their life where they they may not have the financial resources or the time to, to, to really do, to heal, to do what they need to do to heal the body. And, and they can just, you know, they can take something, it makes them feel better and they can go do their job. And, you know, and that's really important. And, and I work in emergency psychiatry and I see the need for medication. Um, that being said, there's a huge hole in the system and it's, it's, we're not addressing the root cause of a lot of illnesses. Um, and I think this is, you know, functional integrative medicine is becoming a thing, but it's not very accessible to a lot of people yet. So, uh, you know, if you look at the history of the medical school curriculum, it wasn't always pharma based, right? Like these drugs are not, they weren't always around. So, you right. know, I think there's a lot of stuff with money, with big pharma that has, has manipulated the medical school curriculum a little bit or a lot bit. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, there's, there's good things and there's bad things. I definitely feel like I straddle two worlds, working in a hospital and working in a whole, having my own kind of holistic practice. Right. And how, how, do, you, how do you balance that? Because I, I would imagine that there are probably times when you're more on the, the, um, the side of like your, your primary job where you see and have to probably do things that you may not really feel good about and doesn't really reflect your, your morals. Yeah, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. Um, I love my job. I think it's, you know, at Bellevue, I think it's super interesting. And, but I, you know, I think, I think it's a high burnout field because a lot of the times, you know, and I, I am speaking for myself, but this is also has among my colleagues, we've discussed this is that, you know, a lot of the times it just feels like we're a revolving door at the hospital and, there's limited resources available to give to our patients to really change their lives, or they don't have the basic necessities. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of need, hierarchy, yeah, hierarchy of needs, you need, you know, shelter. You, you need a place to, to, to feel right. safe and sleeping at night. And if you don't yeah. have that, how are you going to overcome your substance abuse issues or your other mental health issues? Um, so it can be very hard to be in that system. And I do what I can to, to, contribute a holistic approach when, when I'm able to, unfortunately, I'm really not able to so much, but you know, when I can do movement group, 
with, uh, with patients, when I can walk with a patient up and down a hall while talking to them, just to get some movement going is, is how I contribute. But it's definitely a challenge and, and it definitely helps me really, really put a lot of effort into studying the other stuff that I study because really I don't believe that there's one way to heal. And I think it's my job. You know, one of the things i I feel like is part of my job is, is to figure out, learn as many modalities as possible. So when people come to me and I, you know, maybe the first, second or third thing that I try doesn't work, I have an endless toolbox. Right. And I think this is a, a perfect segue for us to dive a bit deeper into what it is that you, you do and the things that you've learned. And I think, you know, uh, we're going to drop the link in the description for this episode, but uh, I know that one of the things that you harp on on your site is the correspondence between the mind and the body. So you want to just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think therapy should be completely void of movement. I think that movement well, we know it's not, you know, we know that movement has tremendous benefits for the body, especially around cognition with mental health issues, depression, anxiety. It's a natural antidepressant. It's a natural anti-anxiety. Uh, so I, I thought about this in creating my practice. It's very unconventional. I work out of a gym, a private gym. So that's the first thing. If you come to my office, you're not going to be sitting on a couch. Uh, <laughs> you might be sitting on like, you know, a, a, a workout bench, actually. So, I, you know, I think about what is it that you need in this moment? What, what are you coming to me with? And what can I teach your body? What, what can I teach you to help, first of all, with acute symptoms, bring down anything that you're dealing with that's helping you not be able to you know, that's preventing you from living your life the way that you want it to live. You want to live it. Sometimes that's through breath work. Sometimes that's through, through eye movement. Actually, the eyes are, are really, they're really powerful. Certain eye movements activate the brain in different ways. And, you know, we almost always see left frontal lobe issues in people with anxiety and depression. You can do specific eye movements to activate the left frontal lobe, which is super cool. You could do certain things to activate your vagus nerve, which is uh, the longest nerve in your body, cranial nerve 10, which has been linked to so many things, chronic illness, sorry, chronic uh, pain, depression, uh, anxiety, headaches. You could do things. Uh, Do do you want to elaborate a bit more on that just for people who may not be familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the vagus nerve, so we have, we have 12 cranial nerves in our, in our brain. Um, Almost all of them come out of the brainstem and they are involved in all different processes in the body, uh, shoulders and up. So you have cranial nerves that move your eyes, cranial nerves for smell, for your tongue, for moving uh, parts of your face, for smiling, things like that. So the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body, and it is connected to a bunch of organs. Um, it's almost, I, I think they say it's the link between, have you heard of uh, the brain-gut axis? So like that your gut is your second brain? Right, Yeah. I believe that the vagus nerve is actually that connection. So a lot of the times people who have chronic pain, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and there's a whole other issue, a whole other bunch of issues that people might have where they have vagal nerve dysfunction. And you can actually do things on your own to activate the vagus nerve and alleviate some of those symptoms. So for example, these are very, um, kind of light stimulation of the vagus nerve, but gargling, humming, certain types of breath work, abdominal massage. And then you can get into kind of more uh, using technology. So things I do is I have a TENS unit with ear clips and I clip them onto my ears and at a certain setting, I can activate the vagus nerve. There's really cool devices that, uh, that activate the vagus nerve. Um, there was one study in in a hospital where people came in with asthma attacks and they activated their vagus nerve. And within 20 minutes, the asthma attack drastically decreased. So it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. So I incorporate things like that into my practice. The way I look at the body is kind of through this applied neurologic, applied neurology lens of we have inputs. We have, we have tens of thousands of inputs every day, right? We have inputs through all our senses our eyes, through our skin, through our, you know, our taste, hearing, smell, you process those inputs, you make a decision and you have an output. 
So, right, for example, you're, you're walking down the street, you're not looking down, and you step on a crack. Your body processes that, okay, what's, you know, the, the street is not flat. It makes a decision of what to do. It has an output. So the output could be that you fall. The output could be that you, you know, step differently to avoid the crack. So we have so many inputs happening to us all day, every day. We don't even realize a bunch of them are happening to us. And sometimes we have a, our nervous system is having a problem with those inputs or, or we're having a problem processing those inputs and we're having an output that we don't want, which can be pain. When I say pain, I mean, it's an umbrella term. I mean, headaches, vertigo, dizziness, um, anxiety, depression, ADHD, eating disorders, like you name it, any kind of unwanted behavior, any, any kind of unwanted feeling in the body, I consider an unwanted output. So what I do in combination with more conventional psychotherapy plus movement, personal training stuff is I'm looking at the nervous system of the person in front of me and figuring out, is there something going on that's not working optimally and, and how, how can we fix it? How can we heal it and, and rehab it over time? And, and do you have like any anecdotal situations that you think kind of highlight the, the efficiency of this, this um, practice that you do? I mean, I, I'm probably my best example right now um, sure, to, yeah. that I could explain, but, but really it's about, it's about brain re rewiring. So how do you figure out what needs to be done and put in the reps to start to rewire the brain? Because the brain is plastic. It's an incredible thing. And we, you know, we have so many, you know, things that, so many things, I don't even know the, the, the formal terminology, but right, we have all these neural pathways and we have all these things firing in our brain that, that make up who we are as a person, who make up our, our patterns, that make up our habits, that make up who we are. And there's things happening that we don't always like and, or want to happen. And we have to figure out how do we rewire them. And a lot of that is also, you know, something you and I had mentioned had discussed possibly talking about is kind of learning how to do stuff you don't like to do and and a lot of it is figuring out what you need and putting in the reps in order to rewire the brain and make you know make these things that you do into new habits and those habits Joe Dispenza talks about this a lot your your habits become you know your personality and your personality becomes your reality right and Obviously, that this is gonna it, these things won't happen overnight. Like you have to put in the yeah. work um, for like the average person. And obviously, you know, we I of course know every situation will be different. But what like what's the time frame you think of being able to get like the typical individual uh, to be able to get into a place where they are able to do those things and be able to take things that they normally would have issues doing and be able to reprogram them to be able to not have as much issues. Mm, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to say. Like, like right a now, year? Mm, it's possible. Ideally less. I think it, it depends on, um, it, it depends on how, how long these habits and these behaviors and these experiences have been in the body. Because the longer they've been there, sometimes the harder it is to break those habits. That being said, I have seen miracles happen where I've helped people get out of chronic pain almost instantly with a little drill, you know, and they, they just have to do that drill, you know, regularly and, and the pain is gone. So it's so hard to say because everyone's nervous system is so unique. And do you think that some of these things, like for instance, this person that you said you were able to help get uh, help them to remove pain. Mm -hmm. Do you think that some of the things that, that people have issues with is in some capacity traced down to their, their DNA and to their lineage of some, in some capacity? Yeah. I think the human body is just so the human brain body and mind is just so complex and I'm starting to get more into 
the spiritual practices and study of, of, you know, who we are and what our personality is and what our experiences are. But I, I do believe, I don't know enough about it, but I do believe that we inherit things. We can inherit things like trauma, um, that, that we, we do take on a lot of things that, was that the, I'm like blanking on the question now because I went all over the place. No, yeah, yeah. Basically, you're, 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 you're pretty much like alluding to what I was saying. Yeah. So, so yeah, like uh, uh, I guess you could say I'm basically harping on how there are certain experiences that our ancestors have had that mm-hmm. in some capacity impact us today mm-hmm. and some of the actions and some of the feelings and some of the pain that we may have it's kind of tied into that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Actually, my, uh, I see a, uh, my a holistic healer that I see who, uh, he says it's, you know, we're here to heal the pain from our ancestors. And when he removes what is, what are called trapped emotions from my body, things that have, you know, stayed inside of us that may be causing us pain and pain in that umbrella term of unwanted output when it's removed from me, when he removes it in the system that he does, he's actually removing it from my ancestors as well, who I may have gotten it from, which is pretty cool. But woo-woo stuff, you know, it's not stuff that I do yet in my practice. Right. And do you, do you think that your, your faith, uh, as, as someone of uh, Jewish descent, do you feel like that has any influence on, on, your, your, just, on your perspective on all of this at all? That's, it must, but it's not, it's not in the forefront of my mind at this moment when I study these spiritual practices, but I, I do believe that because I was raised in a Jewish household with, with Jewish values that it definitely impacts who I am and how I view things and, and what I believe and my openness to the the universe and the spiritual world, even though what I'm studying right now is not specifically from Jewish textbooks, but I am sure that there are certain Jewish textbooks and Jewish practices that may overlap with it, with what I'm studying. Yeah. And like, I don't want to harp on this too much, but like, I guess while you're speaking, it just made me think of just like the lineage and the the history of of the Jewish culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to, you know, at, at, at great odds, at like very slim odds, be able to, you know, uh, be able to essentially escape a lot of really, really tough situations and end up still being here. And I feel like that, that grit and that determination is something that I would imagine would be somewhat in some capacity uh, given uh, through DNA to, to you in some capacity and help. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a very interesting and, and beautiful point that I actually hadn't thought of so much. Cool. Well, yeah. yeah. And as far as just everyday life and where we are right now, like, where do you think what you're doing, where it fits for the, the average person? Like, what are some things that you think that people who may be listening right now and just people in general are dealing with, but they don't even think like they're oblivious to that is something that could be resolved and could make their, their life better. I think hmm. what I like to do is, is, and this is, this is something that I got from, from the holistic uh, osteo that I see is when I work with people, I ask them to, make a list of 20 things they want for themselves. And it can, there's no wrong answer. You know, it's, it's like dream wild, like your biggest, like whatever you want it to be, you know, and, and is it that you want to get off a medication? Is it that you, and you want to be specific, as specific as possible. Do you not want to, you know, I want to feel, you know, I want to feel purpose, you know, purpose and meaning and intention in my life. I, I want to, you know, I want a beach house. I want, you know, I want to partner with these qualities. Right. And, and look at this list and, and see, kind of start off by thinking about, 
what do I need to do to get there? And start thinking about daily habits that need to be integrated into your life in order to start pursuing your dreams and, and passions. Uh, I think there, like I said, there, I don't think there's any right way to heal. I think there's many, many ways to, to address mental health issues that are not conventional. And I really, I really recommend exploring those. And you, and you don't, you don't need to have to, you don't need to see a top, you know, integrative doctor to do that, right? Start to think about what does your movement practice look like and how does it make you feel? What is the food that you're, you know, the food and water that you're putting in your body and how does it make you feel? Um, who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with? Do you get a lot of energy from them or do they deplete you? Are you going out and are you getting sunlight? Are you putting, you know, this sounds woo-woo too, but are you putting your feet in the grass? Are you connecting to the earth? Are you, what's your screen time like? Right now, because of our situation, screen time is just immensely, you know, it's just out of control, right? Are you looking? I really suggest that people make sure that every 20 minutes they look out their window and look as far away as possible. Do things that, that, take care of yourself, uh, but also push yourself, right? If you know there's something that makes you feel better, but you're having trouble doing it, make it a daily habit, put in the reps. You know, I, one of the things that changed me that rewired my brain when I was in the middle of tremendous burnout and really bad depression over three, three, I think three and a half years ago, I started running to work and I, fill a backpack. I like, yeah, I like wrestle with my backpack every day, stuffing clothes in the winter. It's terrible. I stuff a winter jacket in there. It's, you know, and, and I get up and sometimes it's before the sun has, you know, risen. About how many miles is that? It's three and a half to four. And I haven't, I haven't missed a day. Rain, snow, sleet, hail, heat, zero degree weather, you know, (laughs) and it, it builds, it builds that grit, right? It, I know that I feel, and then I show up, I take, you know, an ice cold shower and it's, I feel like a champion. It's like the best way to start the day. It's my natural, it's replaced antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication for me. So there is, you know, I think it's, there's, it's a hard thing between like listening to your body and also pushing through discomfort, but there is something to be said about learning to do something even when you don't want to, like, I don't love running. I don't, I don't run outside of that of going, of running to work. But I know that I will feel so much better when I do it. And, and it's, it's rewired my brain. I mean, to run through when I, I hate the cold to run through, you know, 13 degree weather with snow coming down, that creates, that creates a lot of resilience that creates a lot of grit. And then that carries out into the rest of your life get uncomfortable with get, sorry, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where the growth happens. I just started doing some Wim Hof breathing. Do you know Wim Hof? No. Okay. He's this, uh, he's Dutch. He's a Dutch guy. Does this awesome, awesome breath work. He's, he's been injected with viruses and overcame them. He, he holds the record for some crazy marathon. And part of the breath work entails holding your breath. You do a bunch of deep, deep breaths, and then you have to hold your breath for as long as possible. And it's really hard because it's scary to hold your breath, you know? And I just think to myself, like I watch the clock when I'm holding my breath and the goal is to get to a minute. You let all the air out and then you hold your breath. And I just, you know, I can't always, but sometimes I just think when I want to quit, I just say just five more seconds. At least you could do five more seconds, you know? Yeah. And is there a, is there a thing where it's better? And I don't know if I'm botching this. uh, Is it better to, basically breathe slowly with your nose and not use your mouth. Like when you're breathing, like being a mouth breather is like a bad thing Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. This is something I've actually explored for the last few months. I actually started (laughs) back in April. I actually started taping my mouth shut during all my workouts. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I actually, Rezzy, my friend Rezzy, who I mentioned at the beginning, she said to me one day at the gym, she goes, you need to start, stop breathing out of your mouth when you work out. And she, and I said, oh, you know, she said, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to pull back on your workout intensity, but it'll be better for you long-term. 
Yeah, I've heard and, that. You know, me, I'm like, fine, I'm, it's challenge accepted. I'm going to do it, you know, but I'm, I'm like, I have to do a limited time. So I tell myself I'm going to do it for two weeks. That's like what I, you know. So, uh, yeah, so I started taping my mouth shut during workouts and only breathing in through my nose and out through my nose. Now, yes, the, with breathing, a lot of people are, are chest breathers. A lot of us are hyperventilating. A lot of a lot of what I do is, t- is teaching people how to how to breathe properly, because breathing can really impact everything in your body. Uh, and so, I don't think you know. I just took a course on stamina. Actually, it talks a lot about breath work, nose breathing versus mouth breathing. You know, there are times where you have to mouth breathe. There just are when you're. You know, if you're running a marathon, if you're an elite athlete, if you're engaging in a some sort of competition, you, you might need to mouth breathe. It it will sometimes drive more anxiety in people, and you're taking in so much oxygen. You're like over you or you're sometimes you're over oxygenating yourself, sometimes you're not getting enough oxygen, you're in hypoxia. So so breathing through your nose, right? We are meant to be nose breathers. Like right, people who breathe with their who sleep with their mouth open tend to tend to snore um, or have they might have sleep apnea. Sometimes a lot of that can be resolved. Not always. Sometimes it can be resolved by taping your mouth shut at night. Uh, so I am a big fan of trying to train yourself at least breathing in through the nose. You could breathe out through the nose or out through the mouth, but I do I do want to train people. And then you know if you're training for a, an athletic event and you practice nose breathing when you have to whip out the mouth breathing, you're going to like, you're going to do so much. You're, you're going to really like push through even more. Right. You know? And, and the, uh, one other thing that you were talking about before that I wanted to briefly touch upon, you were talking about how things as simple as, you know, putting like uh, just putting your feet on grass, mm-hmm. looking outside every 20 minutes and things like that. And how that can be very efficient for people. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that I've, personally felt during this pandemic even more so than than prior is that when I am not in the city and I go somewhere that's much more rural where I'm near water where the house that I'm in has grass and a backyard and all these other things I personally feel like mentally I feel much more at ease being in a place where you can actually see the stars at night when you look up and all these things. Do you think that in some capacity, human beings migrating and living in cities is in some capacity to the detriment of their, their mental well-being? Yeah, I do. I, I, I love this city, but it's definitely, as we know, it's, it is hard to be in a place where you just can't step right outside and put your feet in the grass. You know, and yeah. it's hard to get something. When I used to live downtown, I, I mean, I hated the city because the, the streets were so narrow, I couldn't get any sunlight. You know, there was no sun coming through from the buildings to the sidewalk. And I, I'm a person who chases the sun. Like, I'll, if, I'm, if I end up in the shade because the sun is coming down, I'll move to go find the sun. I do feel like it is, you know, people in general just feel, tend to feel so much better in nature. You know, thinking about, and this is also goes back to diet, right? Like, what are we meant? You know, we, we're, we, we're now in a very advanced civilization, but we, but we can't forget our roots, right? Like we can't forget what we're, what we're, like what we were, how we were made to survive and what are the things that we're supposed to do, right? We're, we're made for human contact. We're supposed to have human touch. We're supposed to be in nature. We're supposed to eat whole fresh foods, right? And, and, you know, there's always stuff about diet and different diets and things like that. But I think most people would, would no matter what kind of diet you, you believe in or you think is the best diet, I think most people will agree that eating whole real foods as the, state, as the core of your diet is the best way to go. Yeah. So and I think, and, and I think to, to that point, sorry to cut you off, to, that, to your point, one of the things that I find quite bizarre and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this since you bring up the the point of, of food and how it's a fairly general consensus that eating healthy natural things would be the best route for everyone why is it that that doesn't really get talked about much why do you think it is that even during this pandemic for instance 
every like people are talking about you know masks and social distancing but nobody talks to the american people or i don't know any nation to be honest that does at all but like nobody seems to really talk about the importance of sleep of eating of having a good diet of trying not to have too many sugars and uh, all these other things and carbs and all these other things like they're they're always harping on things outside of diet but mm-hmm. In my opinion, I feel like diet is probably the most important thing for someone's health. I agree. Um, once again, I, I, I think it goes back to a lot of Western medicine practices. Uh, and I'm excited because we're going to talk about the mental health crisis going on right now, which I'm in the forefront, you know, in the front lines of being in, in the psychiatric emergency room and a mobile crisis team. So I have a lot to say on that. You know, I think, unfortunately, I think, I'm just going to go, I'll go into it. So I was going to, I was going <laughs> to save it for next, I'm going to go into it. So if you look at the history of Western medicine, uh, Rockefeller had a big hand in, in shaping the medical school curriculum as it is today. And when he was getting a lot of money from his oil, he was a very hated man. Uh, and in order to fix his reputation, he, it was recommended to him that he donate a lot of money. So he donated a lot of money to colleges, medical schools, and uh, homeless people. There's like pictures of him handing out coins to homeless people to salvage his reputation. And simultaneously, he learned that his oil production could also make pharmaceuticals. And slowly but surely, you know, he was on, he had donated so much money to medical schools. He got his own people to sit on the medical school board. And the medical school curriculum started going from lifestyle and homeopathic-based to pharma-based. And people who spoke out against it lost their license. Um, I think they may have even been jailed. This happens today. I know of doctors who are pushed out of the country, um, pushed out of their cities that they work in, uh, you know, defaced, called quacks, right? We have this term quackery, which really, (laughs) we're so quick to anyone who has an alternative view from what the mainstream narrative yep. they, they want us it to be mm-hmm. is labeled. Yeah. You know, you're, you're labeled a quack. You're labeled a, uh, people are being labeled sociopaths now who don't want to wear masks in, in Brazil. I saw a study about that a few months ago. Um, and there was a lot of manipulation getting people out in the medical field who focused on holistic lifestyle diet approaches. And, we want instant gratification. We want a pill that's going to solve our problems, right? We have this problem now. I'm, I'm convinced that people have ADHD because of their phones and their Apple watches, right? Like we are literally training our brains to respond to a stimulus every few minutes. I mean, yeah. this, is, this has become a learned, in my opinion, this has become a learned behavior for, for a lot of people. I am not saying that all ADHD is like this. I am saying that I think for some of us, we have, I mean, I'm, I fall victim to it all the time. I like, you know, sometimes yeah, me too. it's so hard, right? Like yeah. I, I say like, you know, I want to get rid of my phone addiction and then I try, you know, doing stuff to get rid of it and then I'm successful and then it comes back and it's just like a whole, a whole thing. You know, we are set up in a culture and society where our biggest job is to not be distracted in a world filled with distractions. And I think it is a lot easier and a lot quicker and there's a lot more money behind the idea of taking a pill. It has become, it's very unfortunate that what has happened is that fast food, it, you know, a, a, a bag of chips, a burger is more money than, you know, an apple at, at Fairway. I mean, that's absurd to me, right? That uh, you could get a bunch of fruit for, you could pay like $20 for like a bunch, you know, some organic fruit that'll last you a few days. And the reality is that fruit is, has a lot of nutrition, but it doesn't have a lot of calories. And if you're short on money, what are you going to do? You need those calories to help sustain you so you can live your life and do the job that you need to do and make the money that you need to make and take care of your family. So we are in a system that is working very hard to, against this holistic lifestyle, right? It costs money to see holistic practitioners. It costs money to eat good quality food and get good quality water. It costs money to do a, have a gym membership. You don't have to have a gym membership to get movement, but these things are 
are expensive. It's expensive to be healthy. And even, you know, it's, it sucks because I think we should all be entitled to, to reasonably priced good quality food. But we all know, we know that grass fed meat is more expensive, right? Grass fed. Like, right. You know. uh, yeah. This is probably going to sound a bit conspiratorial, but I don't give a fuck. Cause it's my podcast. I can yeah. do what I want. <laughs> oh, we but... lost a curse on here. I didn't know. I was trying oh, to avoid absolutely. it. Absolutely. Curse. Yeah. Curse. Say whatever you want. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. Um, but in my opinion, everything that you said makes perfect sense. And I think that at the end of the day, we we live in a, a world, we live in a country where all those things that you said would essentially make it so that the majority of, of the population would be uh, more well-rounded, would be able to think better, would not be distracted. And nope, they don't want that. Do you think that that this that the government wants a bunch of people who are not distracted, who are able to think critically, who are not able to be brainwashed easily and manipulated? Of course not. So I feel like that's why, like to your point, like you were saying, you know, people are eating shit food. Yeah. They the the healthcare that is available to people is are a bunch of people who are for the most part in the 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 pocket of these big pharmaceutical companies. I was at a, a conference uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, I go every every year mm-hmm. uh, to just get new information in regards to the studies and everything. And one of like a multiple uh, physicians that were there, one of the things that they had to say before they could go into their presentation was, they basically have to let you know that they're technically compromised and how they basically are working uh, with uh, Johnson and Johnson or AstraZeneca or, or any of those other pharmaceutical companies and how basically whatever information that they're giving you mm-hmm. in this presentation, like even though they may, in their opinion, say that it's uh, objective, they have to at least, you know, disclose that, that, you know, relationship that they have. And when you look at all, like the people who are funding, for instance, the, the conference that I went to literally all of the big pharma companies, (laughs) I was amazed when they were like, Oh, you know, we just want to thank the, the people who helped make this possible. And then they just went down this ginormous list of pharmaceutical companies. And I'm just (laughs) like, Oh, great. Okay. You you can't escape it, unfortunately. I know, I know. And one of the things that you said that I think is really worth harping on, you you were talking about how Rockefeller pretty much was trying to change his perception and do all these quote-unquote philanthropic ventures to kind of change the perception of him. And I look at someone like Rockefeller and how influential and how much money he had. And you look at these big tech companies, you look at someone like Jeff Bezos, he makes Rockefeller look like nothing compared oh, yeah. to the amount of oh, wealth yeah. that he has. So yeah. w- what are your thoughts in regards to just what the future has for us? Oh, before I answer that, I want to, I want to add something else. Oh yeah. Aluminum and deodorant. Someone said to me the other day, since when was there has to be a metal in my deodorant? It, it's not just the food, right? It's also what we put on our body, the Wi-Fi that we're surrounded by that we can't turn off. You know, so I just wanted to mention that also because you made such a good point. I want to say I'm hopeful for the future, but it's hard to be right now. Because during this, this time, this coronavirus time, there is, we are driving a larger gap between the wealthy and the working class. And there are people with too much power right now who are making too many decisions for us. (laughs) You know, we're adults. We should be able to make our own decisions right now. And, and I think there's a lot of things that, that you had said, like, do you think the government wants us to be this way? I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I do. I, I do think that there are things I've heard that fluoride in the water and toothpaste actually makes you more docile. I've heard things like that. I I think that, yeah, I think when you look around and you see how people are behaving right now, how people have 
have behaved in the past, the majority of people, it's hard to not be convinced that the, the government is, is trying to, to manipulate certain things. And, and whether, you know, there's different ways that they do it through media. The news is a huge one. You know, people, people trust their news. Like, well, yeah, George Carlin said it best. He said, they call the TV program for a reason because it's meant to program you. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I've heard like, uh, the, the news is entertainment, right? Like the news is, it, it serves to be entertainment. Yeah. We know that news is not pure news. It's no, not, you it's, know, it's a, pri- it's a private company who has, has obligations and a meet like, uh, they, they want a profit. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're not just doing this out of the kindness of their heart. Of right. Their right. Heart. <laughs> Talk about being distracted, right? How many people do you know, tell you they read the New York times front to back. They watch the news every morning. You know, that, that's, that's, to me, that's a distraction. Why, why, you don't want to, you know, I, yes, I, I get it. Like, Lord, you know, you want to know what's going on. You have a general idea, but, but to dedicate that much time to the news, think yeah. about all the things you could do in that time. Yeah. You could learn a new skill or hobby. And I think, cause we want to end on a, on a positive note. Yes, we do want to end on a positive so, note. <laughs> I think, you know, with that being said, what are some things that people can do to really just get themselves out of that matrix, at least for a little bit, and really mm-hmm. just cultivate grit one step at a time? Like, what are some things that you would say are just like baby steps of things that you tell people to do? Yeah. Start, like I said earlier, st- try one of those things that I mentioned, right? Try getting outside in the sunlight, putting your feet in the grass. Try connecting with someone that you, you know, you haven't spoken to a while or someone that brings you so much, you know, gives you such good positive energy. Do things that they say in the spiritual world raises your vibrations. What makes you feel good? What makes you feel embodied? Try some breath work. There's so many different types of breath work out there. You don't even need to pay anything to get, you know, to get access to them. The Wim Hof method, you have Tara Brock's meditation, John Kabat-Zinn, um, you know, these are just a few, a few people who do this type of work about among, there's just hundreds of famous people who, who teach breath work and give out their material for free. Um, ex- if you find that you are telling yourself the same narrative over and over again, you're only surrounding yourself with people who have that same narrative, try talking to someone who is doing or thinking differently than you. Absolutely. You know, yeah. In, instead of, you know, getting mad at someone on the street who isn't behaving in the way that you want them to ask them why you don't know you know learn learn other opinions try to do something that pushes yourself out of your comfort zone i'm a huge proponent of of trying something that you might fail at and and being okay with it learn how to fail and and you'll start to see that there's there's you almost you get out of this i'm 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 reading uh eckhart tolle right now i just started his books he talks a lot about the ego and the ego is, is, is like the biggest thing that contributes to all of our problems. Start doing things that get you kind of out of that. That, let, let, that you see that there's a bigger world out there. There's a big, beautiful world out there. And there's so many amazing, interesting people to learn from and connect with. And, and so many cool things to do and explore. And, and pick something you've always wanted to do and, and research it and try it. Yeah. You know? I would also say... I think that it it would be beneficial, in my opinion, for everyone to do psychedelic drugs at least once. Because mm. I feel like when you do psychedelic drugs, it definitely destroys the ego mm. and just gives you a very, very different outlook of of life from that point on. Yeah. I So I personally have, have yet to try that, but I am not. It's It's just because of of where I am on my healing journey and, and the, you know, my kind of gurus and mentors that I work with have said, it's not really the time right now for me, but that being said, I've heard such incredible things. And I think if, if, if it feels right for you, yeah, try it. I've heard, I've heard amazing, amazing things that people have had crazy experiences that have changed their, their outlook on life which I think is so cool. And I, I work with some of the doctors I work with in the psyche are also do the, the psychedelic research at NYU. So it's always fun to talk to them about that. 
and I've done some reading on it and watched some videos. I, I think it's, it's pretty incredible because it helps creates new neural pathways in the brain. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think lastly, people should, and we know it's a tough one, but try to get out of the habit of being so attached to your phone. Yes. Yes. It's such a hard one. Oh my gosh. I think I, what I do is I actually put, um, I turn off all my notifications and I put time limits on my apps that I use a lot. So like Instagram has like a 15, now I don't always pay attention. I don't always listen to them, but like Instagram for me has like 15 or 20 minute limitation and then it like shuts down, you know? So yeah, I think that's a good one. Do things that you, that you get into a state of flow to the point where you don't even think about your phone, right? Like pursuing those things is, is so incredible. Have you ever been with someone and you're like such engaged conversation that you haven't looked at your phone for hours. Yeah. yeah. Like you can do that with, with anything or anyone, right? Like go find a hobby, go read a book, go be with a person, go cook something, go, you know, go try something new and get, when you get into that state of flow where you're really present with yourself and, and perhaps if you're doing something else or with somebody else, you don't even think about your phone. The phone is a distraction. The phone is a distraction from loneliness, from boredom, for whatever it is. You know, it's think about, look inside, journal. Like, why do I go and use my phone all the time? You know? I, I love how you just like threw your phone. I know. I was like, <laughs> for people who can't see, you just <laughs> flipped it away. I just threw it across the room. Maybe broke, broke a few <laughs> things, but the phone never breaks. That's the problem. No, I'm just kidding. It's always too. No, but yeah. Elise, this has yes. been a pleasure. Thank, thank you so you, much. Thank, uh, thank please, you, I'm going to put it in the description, but if you want to just tell the audience your your the web, your website and your social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my website is EliseShunkowitzLCSW.com. Uh, social media is at eshunkowitz and Julian will spell it out. I also just want to, uh, <laughs> I also just want to uh, mention my, uh, team that I have. I just have, uh, two business partnerships, uh, that I'm developing holistic programming with and, and content with one is called, uh, the integrated human project, a team of five personal trainers, holistic personal trainers who are absolutely brilliant who I learned from every week. So we're going to have content coming out soon. So if you could follow us at integrated human project, that would be awesome. And then, uh, my business partnership with, uh, my friend, Sarah, the, uh, it's called talk nerdy to me N E U D R. Uh, and we, (laughs) we do online, we actually do workshops that are fairly priced where you can actually learn, you know, drills based in applied neurology to a lot of what I talked about, actually, to address things like anxiety, um, immune health, attention and focus issues, energy issues, uh, and uh, being productive and finding purpose and passion. Awesome. And of course, I'll I'll include all this in the description uh, for you guys. So don't even worry about it. But again, thanks so much, Shankowitz. Thank you, Robinson. This is awesome.